Hi there, this is Nathan Agan, and welcome to the Working Actor's Journey, connecting you with lifelong professionals. We have a scene today from the rehearsal room, and this time we revisit, with a whole new cast and director, one of the Richard III scenes that kicked this whole project off. From May 2021 and directed by Liz Swain, it's Act 4, Scene 4 from Shakespeare's Richard III. Teach me how to curse mine enemies. You can find the previous version of the scene on the podcast and YouTube featuring Angie Bird and directed by Gigi Birmingham. Okay, there is a lot going on with this scene, so let's attempt to summarize. Queen Elizabeth and the Duchess of York, Richard's mother, are grieving over their children and grandchildren. Former Queen Margaret secretly watches, then comes forward to share they are not the only ones who've suffered. King Richard is passing by with his army, and the Duchess gives him a piece of her mind. Finally, Richard is alone with Elizabeth and begins to talk with her about her daughter, also named Elizabeth, and the plans Richard has for her. So buckle in for quite a scene. You can catch up on previous workshops featuring Hamlet, King Lear, Troilus and Cressida, Midsummer, Julius Caesar, As You Like It, and more, all on the podcast and YouTube. Not to mention all the episodes we have with the fantastic guests over the past three seasons. Go to workingactorsjourney.com to find links to everything. We've also done recent Facebook Live videos, including a Q&A with director Libby Apple, and then our new Acting the Role series with Jeffrey Wade and Reed Burney, where we focus on specific characters, Dogberry from Much Ado and Uncle Vanya from Chekhov's play. You can catch replays on our website and Facebook page. Okay, back to today's episode and 4-4 from Richard Three. Our cast includes Verilyn Jones as Margaret, Michael Kirby as Richard, Maggie Veltry as the Duchess, and Morgan Ring as Elizabeth, with Gideon Rappaport as dramaturg, and our director Liz Swain is back with her second scene in the rehearsal room after As You Like It, which you'll find on the podcast and on YouTube. I gotta say, it was really exciting to watch an entirely new group of artists tackle this scene, and of course, so many wonderful discussions were had and many discoveries made over the weeks. All the actors and characters grew so much. You are in for quite a monumental and fantastic scene. So, without further ado, here we go with the rehearsal room presentation of Richard III from May 2021. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, being here for our presentation of uh, Richard III, uh, Act 4, Scene 4. Um, so my name is Nathan Agan. I am the uh, host and producer of The Working Actor's Journey. Started as uh, a podcast, and over the last year, we've been doing these readings and now these workshops. Uh, and uh, we have a new thing coming up I'll tell you about in a little bit. Um, but uh, it's a great opportunity we found to work on these scenes in depth in a way that doesn't often happen, uh, especially in professional projects, um, and to take the time about these scenes and then also to uh, have in, in the room both newer actors uh, or actors in the beginning of their career, professional actors, professional coaches, directors, uh, and we can really be very conscious uh, about age and color and gender in all of these roles because we are focusing on the text. We can explore that in a way that uh, 
some theaters or some productions might not. Uh, so uh, we're very excited to be able to do all that. Um, I will say uh, that uh, tonight's charity is uh, St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital. And thank you very much for those who have already donated uh, when you signed up uh, you know, for your ticket. Uh, I'll put a link. I'll put some links in the chat box, uh, including one if you'd like to donate directly to St. Jude. Uh, so uh, that's uh, you know that's one thing we have uh, going on this evening. Um, uh, and I'll just mention a couple more quick things. Uh, the other program we just uh, started, uh, or we just launched something called Repertory, and uh, this is an opportunity to work with two wonderful directors, including Elizabeth Swain, who you see, and uh, Brendan Fox on Shakespeare's Twelfth Night for seven weeks, playing multiple characters. Uh, once again, you're working with professional actors and coaches, uh, just like in repertory theater. We're taking that model and just bringing it uh, into the 21st century. And so that uh, has launched and, and is available for people to register. I'll put a link uh, in the chat box for that. Uh, and we do have a discount, a 20% discount through May 6th, uh, if people would like to sign up. And uh, again, I'll put a link uh, to that in the chat. Uh, and next week, uh, Monday, May 10th, we have another one of these scenes, uh, As You Like It, with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Dennehy directing. So it's another free evening of Shakespeare you can come and uh, enjoy. And the same link that you used uh, to reserve your ticket for tonight, you can go back and get a ticket for May 10th if you'd like. Uh, we have a few more scenes coming up. Uh, so I think that's about it for all of the announcements. I want to uh, introduce everybody that you see here. Uh, and then uh, we'll get underway. So uh, just in the order on my screen, uh, we have Gideon Rappaport, uh, the dramaturg. Uh, you know, he's been helping out with the text and uh, a lot of Shakespeare context. You'll, you'll hear him in just a minute. Uh, Elizabeth Swain, the director. We have uh, Michael Kirby playing Richard, uh, Rich, King Richard at this point in the play, uh, Richard Duke of York. Uh, the Duchess of York, uh, Richard's mother, is being played by Maggie Belter. Um, Morgan Ring is uh, playing Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, and Verilyn Jones is uh, playing uh, Margaret, uh, uh, Queen Margaret uh, of uh, Henry VI. So with that, I will turn it over to Gideon, who will uh, talk a little bit about where we are uh, in the play and uh, what, uh, what to expect. So, uh, Gideon, it's all yours. Thank you. Um, I'm going to talk about where the play is first. Um, and try to be very brief. Shakespeare wrote two tetralogies, two sets of four history plays about English history between the deposing of the, of King Richard II and the, uh, accession of Henry VII to be king with, who was, uh, Queen Elizabeth's grandfather. And that period, that bracket, bracketed period is about 80 years of warfare um, called the Wars of the Roses, and it's because one of the houses, Lancaster, was symbolized by a red rose and the other house symbolized by a white rose, York. Um, Shakespeare wrote those two tetralogies in reverse order. So the first set of plays he wrote, Henry VI, parts one, two, and three, and Richard III, this play, were written first, but they take place later in history. And the later plays which are uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, and sorry, Richard the Second and Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, and then Henry the Fifth were written later, though they take place earlier in history. So what we're seeing tonight is the play that ended the whole historical story, even though it was written before the earlier plays. And um, what happens is that 
after 80 years or so of corruption and warfare and internecine fighting and the Wars of the Roses, uh, Richard III arises as a great symbol of evil, as a great willing uh, villain. Um, and he is, one of his roles, there are many he plays, but one of them is the scourge of God. He's there, in a sense, to wipe out all the evil in England by trying to become king himself and killing everybody between himself and the throne. And then when he's defeated, that simply purges the state. And Henry VII, um, in the end of this play, is figured as a great hero, putting an end to all this corruption and all these <clears throat> wars. Um, so uh, Richard is a hunchback. He is limping. He's got a withered arm. He makes his behavior fit his body. Um, and he is going to come into this scene to visit with his mother and uh, two other women whom, to whom he's done um, astronomical wrong. Not that they haven't done wrong to each other. So um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Liz, who's going to set this particular scene for us, and she will direct the play this evening. Thank you. Hi. Um, so we are now in Act 4. Richard has just become king. He's made Anne his queen and now poisoned her, so she's now dead too. So he has managed to eliminate everybody. I don't think he actually ever kills anyone in this play. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, the Gideon. He killed Henry at the end of Henry VI Part 3. But in this play, he doesn't physically kill anyone. He gets somebody else to do it all, right? That's correct. He gets other people to do his dirty work for him. So um, he's done all of that. And the, and the awful thing that has just happened in the preceding scene is that Tyrrell has announced that the two princes in the tower ha- are now dead. So they were the last people that were really a problem for Richard. Although he has one other little thing that he's worried about. So he now he's got rid of Anne. He may have another wife in mind, but that comes up in the scene. So what happens is these women all meet. Margaret uh, arrives, and she has been living in the palace, it seems, sort of hovering around secretly, observing everything, ready to leave and go to France because she knows everything is going to turn out the way she wants it to turn out. It's all going to be horrible, and she knows that. So that we meet her first, and then the Duchess of York arrives with her daughter of, daughter-in-law, Queen, the former Queen Elizabeth. They, you know, they have things that connect them. I don't know that they love each other that much. There's not a lot of love between these women. And Margaret in particular, I mean, she, um, Richard has killed her husband and now her grandchildren. I mean, her her grandsire, I'm sorry, I'm getting that all wrong. I should read what I've written. Um, At the top of the scene, when the Duchess comes in, who is uh, the mother-in-law and Richard's mother, she is absolutely at the bottom. She is so miserable and terrible. And actually, in the scene, she has a nice journey. We'll see that. Elizabeth has just lost her children. Elizabeth has lost her brother and sons by a former marriage. I mean, she has lost a lot, but she does have one daughter left by her husband, Edward IV, and that's the key. Um, 
I think that's all you need to know. It just is that these women are not terribly fond of each other, and you'll see that. So let's have them meet. Okay, <laughs> go for it. They're going to do the scene straight through, and then we're going to see if we want to make any adjustments. So now, prosperity begins to mellow and drop into the rotten mouth of death. Here, in the confines of this place, slyly have I lurked to watch the waning of mine enemies. A dire reduction am I witness to, and will to France, hoping the consequence will prove as bitter, black, and tragical. Withdraw thee, wretched Margaret. Who comes here? Ah, oh, my poor princess. Ah, oh, my tender babes. My unblown flowers, new appearing sweets. If yet your gentle souls fly in the air and be not fixed in doom perpetual, hover about me with your airy wings and hear your mother's lamentation. Hover about her. Say that right for right hath dimmed your infant morn to aged night. So many miseries have crazed my voice that my woe-wearied tongue is still and mute. Edward Plantagenet, why art thou dead? Plantagenet doth quit, Plantagenet. Edward for Edward pays a dying debt. Look thou, O oh God, fly from such gentle lambs and throw them in the entrails of the wolf. When didst thou sleep when such a deed was done? When holy Harry died and my sweet son. Dead life, blind sight, poor mortal living ghost, woes seen, world's shame, graves due by life usurped. Brief abstract and record of tedious days. Rest thy unrest on England's lawful earth, unlawfully made drunk with innocent blood. Ah, oh, that thou wouldst as soon afford a grave as thou canst yield a melancholy seat. Then would I hide my bones, not rest them here. Oh, who hath any cause to mourn but we? If ancient sorrow be most reverend, Give mine the benefit of sinewy, and let my griefs frown on the upper hand. If sorrow can admit society, tell over your woes again by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst a Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard, too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland, too, thou hopest to kill him. Thou hadst a Clarence, too, and Richard killed him. From forth the kennel of thy womb have crept a hellhound that doth hunt us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to worry lambs and lap their gentle blood. Excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in galled eyes of weeping souls. That foul defacer of God's handiwork. Thy wound let loose to change, chase us to our graves. Oh, upright, just and true disposing God. How do I thank thee 
that his carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body and makes her pew fellow with others moan. Oh, Harry's wife, triumph not in my woes. God witness with me, I have wept for thine. Bear with me. I am hungry for revenge, and now I cloy me with beholding it. Thy Edward, he is dead that killed my Edward. Thy other Edward, dead, to quit my Edward. Young York, he is but boot, because both they match not the high perfection of my loss. Thy Clarence, he is dead that stabbed my Edward. And the beholders of this frantic play, the adulterate Hastings, Rivers, Vaughan, Gray, untimely smothered in their dusky graves. Yet Richard lives. Hell's black intelligencer only reserved their factor to buy souls and send them thither. But at hand, at hand ensues his piteous and unpitied end. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed from hence. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray, that I may live and say, the dog is dead. Oh, thou didst prophesy the time would come that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul bunch-backed toad. I called thee then, vain flourish of my fortune. I called thee then, poor shadow-painted queen, the presentation of but what I was, the flattering index of a direful pageant, one heaved a high to be hurled down below, a mother only marked with two fair babes, a dream of what thou wast. A garish shot, a sign of dignity, a breath, a bubble, a queen in chest, only to fill the scene. Where is thy husband now? Where be thy brothers? Where are thy two sons? <laughs> Wherein dost thou joy? Who sues and kneels and says, God save the queen? Where be the bending peers that flattered thee? Where be the thronging troops that follow thee? Decline all this and see what now thou art. Poor happy wife, a most distressed widow, a joyful mother, one that wails the name, for one being sued to, one that humbly sues. For queen, a very caitiff crowned with care. For she that scorned at me, now scorned of me. For she being feared of all, now fearing one. For she commanding all, obeyed by none. Thus hath the course of justice whirled about, and left thee but a very prey to time. Having no more but thought of what thou wast, to torture thee the more, being what thou art. Thou didst usurp my place, and dost thou not usurp the just proportion of my sorrow? Now thy proud neck bears half 
my burdened yoke, from which even here I slip my weary head and leave the burden of it all on thee. Farewell, York's wife and queen of sad mischance. These English woes shall make me smile in France. Oh, thou well-skilled in curses, stay a while, and teach me how to curse mine enemies. Forbear to sleep the nights and fast the days. Compare dead happiness with living woe. Think that thy babes were sweeter than they were, and he that slew them fouler than he is. Bettering thy loss makes the bad causer worse. Revolving this will teach thee how to curse. My words are dull. Oh, quicken them with thine. <laughs> My words are dull. Thy woes will make them sharp and pierce like mine. Why should calamity be full of words? When the attorneys to their clients' woes, airy succeeders of intestate joys, poor breathing orators of miseries, let them have scope. Though what they will impart help nothing else, yet do they ease the heart. If so, then be not tongue-tied. Go with me, and in the breath of bitter words, let's smother my damned son that thy two sweet sons smothered. The trumpet sounds, be copious in exclaims. Who intercepts me in my expedition? Oh, she that might have intercepted thee by strangling the, I'm sorry, by strangling thee in her accursed womb from all the slaughters, wretch, that thou hast done. Right thou that forehead with a golden crown, where should be branded, if that right were right, the slaughter of the prince that owed that crown, and the dire death of my poor sons and brothers. Tell me, thou villain slave, where are my children? Thou toad, thou toad, where is thy brother Clarence, and little Ned Plantagenet his son? Where is the gentle rivers, on gray? Where is Con? Hastings. A flourish, trumpet, strike, alarm, drums. But not the heaven here, these telltale women rail on the Lord's anointed. Strike, I say! Either be patient and entreat me fair, or with the clamorous report of war, thus will I drown your exclamations. Art thou my son? Aye, I thank God, my father, and yourself. Then patiently hear my impatience. Madam, I have a touch of your condition. I cannot brook the accent of reproof. Oh, let me speak. Do then, but I'll not hear. I will be mild and gentle in my words. And brief, good mother, for I am in haste. Art thou so hasty? I have stayed for thee, God knows, in torment and in agony. And came I not at last to comfort you? No, by the holy rood, thou knowst it well. Thou camest on earth to make the earth my hell. A grievous burden was thy birth to me. Catchy and wayward was thy infancy. Thy school days, frightful, desperate, wild and furious. Thy prime of manhood, daring, bold and venturous. Thy age confirmed, proud, subtle, sly and bloody. More mild, but yet more harmful, kind in hatred. 
What comfortable hour canst thou name that ever graced me with thy company? Faith, none but Humphrey hour that called your grace to breakfast once forth of my company. If I be so disgracious in your eye, let me march on and not offend you, madam. Strike up the drum. I pray thee, hear me speak. You speak too bitterly. Hear me a word, for I shall never speak to thee again. So. Either thou wilt die by God's just ordinance, ere from this war thou turn a conqueror, or I with grief and extreme age shall perish and never more behold thy face again. Therefore, take with thee my most grievous curse, which in the day of battle tire thee more than all the complete armor that thou wearest. My prayers on the adverse party fight, and there the little souls of Edward's children whisper the spirit of thine enemies and promise them success and victory. Bloody thou art, bloody will be thy end. Shame serves thy life, and doth thy death attend. Far more cause, yet much less spirit to curse abides in me. I say amen to her. Stay, madam, I must talk a word with you. I have no more sons of the royal blood for thee to slaughter. For my daughters, Richard, they shall be praying nuns, not weeping queens, and therefore level not to hit their lives. You have a daughter called Elizabeth, virtuous and fair, royal and gracious. And must she die for this? Oh, let her live, and I'll corrupt her manners, stain her beauty, slander myself as false to Edward's bed, throw over her the veil of infamy, so she may live unscarred of bleeding slaughter. I will confess she was not Edward's daughter. Wrong not her birth. She is a royal princess. To save her life, I'll say she is not so. Well, her life is safest only in her birth. And only in that safety died her brothers. Lo, at their birth, good stars were opposite. No, to their lives, ill friends were contrary. All unavoided is the doom of destiny. True, when avoided, grace makes destiny. My babes were destined to a fairer death, if grace had blessed me with a fairer life. You speak as if I had slain my cousins. Cousins, indeed. And by their uncle cousined of comfort, kingdom, kindred, freedom, life. Whose hands soever lanced their tender hearts, thy head all indirectly gave direction. No doubt the murderous knife was dull and blunt till it was wetted on my stone-hard heart to revel in the entrails of my lambs. But that still use of grief makes wild grief tame. My tongue should to thy ears not name my boys till that my nails were anchored in thine eyes. And I, in such a desperate bay of death, like a poor bark of sails and tackling raft rush all to pieces on thy rocky bosom. Madam, so thrive I in my enterprise and dangerous success of bloody wars as I intend more good to you and yours than ever you and yours by me were harmed. What good is covered with the face of heaven to be discovered that can do me good? The advancement of your children, gentle lady. Up to some scaffold, there to lose their heads. Unto the dignity and height of fortune, the high imperial type of this earth's glory. Flatter my sorrow with report of it. Tell me what state. 
What dignity, what honor canst thou demise to any child of mine? Even all I have, I and myself and all, will I with all endow a child of thine. So in the lethe of thy angry soul thou drown the remembrance of those wrongs which thou supposest I have done to thee. Be brief, lest that the process of thy kindness last longer telling than thy kindness date. Then know that from my soul I love thy daughter. My daughter's mother thinks it with her soul. What do you think? That thou dost love my daughter from thy soul. So from thy soul's love didst thou love her brothers, and from my heart's love I do thank thee for it. Be not so hasty to confound my meaning. I mean that with my soul I love thy daughter, and do intend to make her queen of England. (laughs) Well then, who dost thou mean shall be her king? Even he that makes her queen, who else should be? What? Thou? Even so. How think you of it? How canst thou woo her? Oh, that would I learn of you, as one being best acquainted with her humor. And wilt thou learn of me? Madam, with all my heart. Send to her, by the man that slew her brothers, a pair of bleeding hearts. Thereon engraved Edward and York. Then haply will she weep. Therefore present to her, as sometime Margaret did to thy father, steeped in Rutland's blood, a handkerchief, which, say to her, did drain the purple sap from her sweet brother's body, and bid her wipe her weeping eyes withal. If this induce her to move her not to love, send her a letter of thy noble deeds. Tell her thou mates to weigh her uncle Clarence, her uncle Rivers eye, and for her sake mates quick conveyance with her good aunt Anne. You mock me, madam. This is not the way to win your daughter. There is no other way, unless thou couldst put on some other shape and not be Richard that hath done all this. Say that I did all this for love of her. Nay, then indeed she cannot choose but hate thee, having bought love with such a bloody spoil. End scene. <laughs> so, um, let me find my notes. So how did you feel about it? How, where were you with it? I'm asking you. You who? Actors. Oh. <laughs> I thought I pushed a little, but I could relax a little bit. <laughs> okay. Same, same here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly a fiery scene. And, um, yeah, so maybe was a little pushing in a few places that we could sort of talk about and pull back on a little bit. Um, the, there was, uh, Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't got a lot of specific word notes because I know that, um, that Gideon will have. So mm-hmm. it's just sort of a general sense, a little bit more pleasure sometimes when you're really kicking them down. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I, I think we had a note before about I had, right? Do you, what was it, Gideon? Did you want her to say I had? We wanted to go for the verb, didn't we? Uh, where? On which line? Very early on. I had. 
I have think this time it was much better. Yeah. Um, I still think you have to bring out the repetitive hammering of the name Richard in, on those mm-hmm. four lines. Mm-hmm. That's the key. And then the other two, the other, the, the uh, Duchess picks it up and then you go back and hammer on it. Okay. Got it. I, I think that'll make it stronger. I have to say, I thought it was really good you all have taken our notes from last week and run with them and i was yeah you got a lot of notes last week so you really did take them i was really impressed i was very impressed yeah i was too um uh, berlin thy edward he is dead section mm-hmm. i think there's some again Tough luck on you. Uh, sort of a little different, uh, you know. Don't you don't need to be so nasty with it. It's that you know, yeah, you got a lot of debt to deal with, haven't you? You know, there's it's there's something about Margaret at this point that I don't think she needs to be nasty to anybody because she knows what's coming. She's mm-hmm. prophesied everything. It's all happening the way she said, and she's halfway out the door to France. So I think you know, it's a general note. Um, and you're doing it beautifully in some places, but just keep that. You don't need to get eh. Or no. Even though you're doing that, I think you are putting the knife in and screwing it left, right, and center. But there's a, more pleasure in doing it at okay. every turn. Um, okay. um, presentation of what I was. Um, um, representation. Representation of what I was. Um, I, you hit I. Oh, okay. Um, do we want that? Do we want it to be what I was? I, I just as simply, without doing an extra, I don't think you need the stress on the eye. I'm trying to find exactly where. Uh, line, line 84 in my book, but it might be somewhere else. It'll be, it's different here. Um, yeah. It's the speech on, um, ma, 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 let's see. What, what What's the line? Do you, just give me the line again. Um, Representation of what Oh, okay. um, line 80, 86 line 86 in the folder okay so I'm only two lines off I think you're, so I think we, I think we talked last week about not. I don't think you need the I I think it should be what I was just simply say it mm-hmm. what do you think um, Gideon uh, the presentation about what I was that's, that's the line you're referring to yes mm-hmm. you hit okay. the I and I'm not sure that we need you to the presentation of but what I think the key is the word presentation. Mm-hmm. You only you only seemed to be what I actually was. Mm-hmm. I was really the queen, and you just lasted as queen for almost no time at all. Right. And you were a, you were a fake queen, a painted queen, a poor shadow, a vain flourish compared to me. So mm-hmm. I think the parallel word to vain flourish, poor shadow. Painted is presentation, and it's followed by flattering index um, and pageant. All of those are just what we would say shows or representations, but not the real thing. Mm-hmm. So I think Liz will be satisfied if you if you bring that meaning out of the word presentation. You don't have to work on the pronoun. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Great. 
I hope. <laughs> and in the whole section to Elizabeth, I think you were just loving it, saying, you thought you were queen. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You were nothing. And everybody knew it. I mean, it's just like, it's so cruel. And you really got her cornered there. And I mean, and also when she's very low, she just lost her kids, for God's sake. You yeah. know, you're really being very cruel. Um, uh, I have line 104. We seem to be two lines off, so you should be able to find it quickly. Um, com- commanding or uh, obeyed. You, I wanted the antithesis between commanding and obeyed. Clear. Or, uh, it's line 106, 107. Okay. For she commanding all obeyed of none. Yeah. For she commanding all obeyed of none. And make sure we hear those lovely antitheses. Okay. And after your would-be final couplet, you, do a, you, you did a mini turn, just sort of like so. And she has to make you come back, right? You know. Stop me. Uh, yeah, yeah, she has to stop you because she's she doesn't she's not ready for you to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you do turn back to answer her question, I think the impetus is, okay, this is what you want. Okay, I'll tell you. Okay? I think there's something like that going on there, right? Again, it's quite snotty, shall we say. Okay. The snotty thing. But you were fabulous. You were clear. Everything. I just, I'm just messing, you know, with I know. But You truly did a fabulous job. You were wonderful. Now, um, Okay. And be aware when you do, when, oh, your final line, you're completing her, the couplet. She gives you the first line. And so it really is like, boom, I'm out of here. You know what happened, my, my, if you notice I said her line, I, my screen just kind of went blank. And then I came back and I landed on her line instead of my line. Yeah. But I, yeah, I get that. All right. Well, that's good. It's good we have another shot, right? Uh, Marilyn, while we're focusing on you, can you tilt your camera up a little? Because it's cutting off. There you go. Oh, okay. I was trying to hide that shelf above my head. (laughs) Well, but when you lean in, it cuts off the top. Okay. Then then you'll have to see the shelf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it looks just like a hat. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Elizabeth, um, dire death. That's such a wonderful phrase. Um, so just hold on to, you know, really enjoy that um, as an actor, I mean. I don't necessarily mean as a character. Um, um, Duchess, be care- you, you can pull back. You can pull back. Trust yourself that you've done the work. You don't need to push it so much, okay? Um, and I think which means you can, once you get going, especially with Richard, You've got stuff that you're enjoying. Allow that to enter it rather than being on the attack all the time. You can enjoy being on the attack. I think that's going to be, I mean, we'll find some specifics. So, um, and especially when you get to actually, when you really settle down to telling him what you think of him. I don't think you, because I mean, maybe you've been wanting to do this for a very long time. And you know you're not going to see him again. So you're really getting it off your chest. So he doesn't need to be a huge thing. It's like the pleasure of, this is what I think of you. And you better take it in because this is it. You know? Uh, so uh, 
And I think especially the final speech to him. I think oh, he- all right. I was going to ask if it was more when she was talking about him growing up. But it's both, actually. But, but it is. Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, I think your confidence, I think in a way by getting it out of your system, you, I don't think it necessarily, I, I mean, I would like to see what happens. Okay, I'm not 100% sure. I would like to see what happens if instead of building it, building it, building it, boom, that it is like, I'm calming down. I'm getting this off my chest and I'm really feeling much better now I'm getting it off my chest and I'm never going to see you again and that's going to make my life a lot better and then you're out of there. Okay. I think it's rather than building it to this sort of climax of attack, I think you're not attacking him. You're literally getting off your chest what you feel about him and you would really like him to know that. Can I just add that you're also, at this point, slipping into the Margaret role of prophesying correctly. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a battle, and he's going to be destroyed by it, and you're seeing that. Right. I'm praying for it. Yes. So you don't know it the way she, her prophecies now are are known to her, but you're close. So that, that yeah. there's kind of cosmic voice coming through you which is the voice of justice going to happen i wanted so much that i almost feel like it's got to be true yes i really want it therefore it doesn't all have to be driven by your own raging anger okay it's as if you're riding the wave of universal justice That's, that's perfect yes i'll try that thank you um elizabeth um, you have two, twice you rhyme slaughter and daughter, which is mm-hmm. quite wonderful. Um, enjoy those antitheses and those rhymes. I mean, they're not exactly antitheses, but they're set up against each other in some weird way. So do that. And especially on the couplet, be aware mm-hmm. of the couplet. Um, two line, I have 228, so it's obviously two or three lines within that. Um, makes, Wild grief tame. I think you, we needed to hit wild grief as opposed to it's a different sort of grief. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then I think you again, don't make it a one note nastiness with him. Let's try and listen to what he's saying and take it in and see if you can just vary the, vary the nastiness is really a general note. Um, because again, these women, if, if they get onto the, just get onto this track of attacking, um, it, they, you're missing some of the subtleties, I think, in the speeches. Um, for example, when you have send to her, no, that this is a terrific idea. I mean, this is pure irony, right? So have fun with the fact that it is pure irony. Send to her. I mean, this is this. I got a great idea. This is how to woo her. So have more fun with that in a way. And there, and then I wouldn't. Again, I would like to see what happens if you don't. Once you have softened a little, stay there. Like there is no other way because you went back to being jung 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 at that point. I would like to see what happens if you are just. Keep it because you know we're not doing the whole scene, and we I think we talked about that. That by the end of the scene, 
uh, the audience can sense that this woman is not going to send her daughter to Richard. Richard doesn't get it, but the audience will, because you know you're not going to. And I'd like to get a little sense of that in the end of our scene. So if you could do the last uh, lines again in that, uh, you know, enjoying your power. There is no other way unless thou couldst put on some other, you know, in sort of your power. You know, yeah. You're here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So those are my notes because they were really rather general ones about approaches and things. So I think probably Gideon has some more, right? I have a few, not that many, but a few. So um, yeah, they did. So you really took the notes from last week brilliantly. Yeah. So um, let's go back to the beginning, and I'll just go through in order of the of the scene. Starting um, um, Elizabeth in the in the first speech, I I was very impressed by what you did later. Um, but in the Ah, my poor princess, I I think you can. Um, I think the hover needs to be stronger. The idea of hover about me. I think the grief has to be stronger. Just the opposite of what Liz is telling you later to bring back the anger down a little bit. When you first come in, I think Shakespeare is giving you all these reasons to show passion and grief. Ah, ah. Uh, they're talking to their, the souls of her two recently dead boys. So I think you just have to start energy up. Um, Margaret, there's a rhyme at 2122, which is, um, uh, what is it? Plantagenet. Oh, quit Plantagenet does quit. It's a rhymed couplet there. Plantagenet rhymes with dying debt. So mm-hmm. bring, bring out the couplet. You're, you're kind of, um, singing in a way because what you wanted to happen is happening. They're getting punished for for what they've done to you and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if anyone else heard you say at line 57, thy wound. It keeps womb. sounding to me like wound, but it's womb. Mm, I know. I thought I fixed it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just to clarify. Um, yeah. Duchess, we talked about stressing triumph instead of triumph in line 61. And I didn't? Okay. You, and, triumph. And I've just been reading triumph. about Triumph. Triumph. Oh, I do want that. Yeah. Oh, I've my just, gosh. I've, I've just been reading about how Shakespeare includes in his figures of speech um, alternations, intentional alternations of the stresses on words, because the pronunciations of words were very much more fluid in Elizabethan times than now. So the poet could use a, an odd stress Mm-hmm. For poetic reasons, and get away with it easier than now. Triumph, so, not in my books. Thank you. I mean, it's. I, I'm still giving you the choice to make, but I want to remind you, you have that. Yes, thank you. Um, Margaret, uh, line 76 uh, ensues his piteous and unpitied end. Uh, I think. I think you need to end that line strong on end, meaning. Death. Yes, at hand yes. at hand is Richard's death, yes. which you're all waiting for. Yes, got it. So yes. And that line strong. Um, line 110, also Margaret, I think. Um, uh-huh. 
Oh, I, I wanted you to bring out the word thought in this line. Having no more but thought of what thou wast to torture thee the more being what thou art. In other words, the only thing, um, you don't have anything left of what you were as queen except the thought of it. Mm-hmm. And the thought of it okay. tortures you. Yes. You get it? Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. And that will make you bring out lust in the past because it's going to, it's the antithesis is with what thou art now. Mm-hmm. So lust in line 110 is antithetical to art in line 111. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Duchess, I just want to make a dramaturgical point. It's also a directorial point, I'm sure. Um, if you, if you make a mistake, don't Break character to apologize. Sorry, yeah. I did it again. <laughs> Just keep going. Don't apologize. We're, we're, um, I mean, you can do it in rehearsal when we're working. Yes. Also. But just if I make it, I just, can I stop and back up and do the line again? Yeah, just, I think so. That's up to Liz. But I would say either that or just bludgeon. <laughs> but, but, um, but don't break character. That's Thank you. Um, uh, Elizabeth, 229. I think Liz mentioned this line, but let me get to it. Uh, wild grief, still use of grief makes wild grief tame? No. Um, uh, make the last 229. When you say, um, Richard says, all unavoided is the doom of destiny. And your response is true when avoided grace, you've got to hit makes. Yep. You you have made destiny by choosing to murder these people. It's not just the doom of destiny. It's your free will choice. So I want you to bring out that in the word makes. Because you're ending on the same word. So you don't want to hit the same word again, right? Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, completely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the last one is this tiny on 258. Um the line is, canst thou demise to any child of mine? Try to make it a two instead of a ta. I have a question, Gideon. Um, yes. For when um, Richard says, who intercepts my expedition? Yes. Um, and then the Duchess, she uses the inter- intercepted. Is, would it be appropriate for that line to emphasize a little more? She Oh, that she might have intercepted thee by strangling thee, or should I not put it on that modal? Well, do it the other way. How, how, what's the other um, Oh, that she might, oh, that, oh, she that might have intercepted thee by strangling thee. So to bring out, he says intercepted, should I emphasize my intercept? Yeah, I think you could. Okay. Um, what, who intercepts me? She that might have intercepted, you can, you can, the, the point is. This is a pronoun one where it would work. Yeah, but the point is to go to the end of the thought. Don't, 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 put so much into that line that you don't get to the point, which is intercepted the in her accursed womb from yeah. all the slaughters. And I thought the last part of that was good. I thought overall you were very strong. So okay. I think I, you have a choice there. You're right. Um, but I would say however you choose to do that line, make sure it pushes through to the next. Get get to the strangling. Yeah. <laughs> strangling. The strangling <laughs> in the womb. I mean, part of the horror of this. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Part of the horror of this whole interchange is it's a mother and a son. You know, 
they're, they're, he's ignoring his mother, no respect for her, and she is cursing him. So, and this is a shock. This is what England has come to, his mother and son uh, cursing each other in a sense. And that's what's going to put, be put an end to by Richard's death, which you then prophesy. Thank you. Okay, that's it for me. I just have one other thing, because um, I noticed in the Folger version, it says that Margaret sort of enters into the scene a little later um, than we've been doing it. I mean, and I don't know how we do this on Zoom anyway, so that you actually, your first few lines are sort of hurled at them, but not not to them. Mm-hmm. Not to yes. them. You, know that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or, or even to the audience. You could share them with the audience. I don't know how we do that, but I think it'll, if you know that's what you're doing, it'll come out a little differently. And mm-hmm. then you do enter and that, uh, the Folger place, and that's mm-hmm. when you enter the scene and right. be a stronger entrance there. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the one way to do that is just come closer to the screen when you're talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. Back up to yes. room for yeah. that. That will work. Mm-hmm. That will work. So, all right. So now, uh, uh, Gideon, uh, not Gideon, um, Nathan. Do we do we do it again now and talk afterwards, right? Yeah, that'll be fine. Okay. So, are you? Do you need a break? Do you? Are you ready to plunge in again? Yes, I am. I, okay, I'm, let's go then. You, you have all the work at the beginning, so let's go for it. So now. Prosperity begins to mellow and drop into the rotten mouth of death. Here, in these confines, slyly have I lurked to watch the waning of mine enemies. A dire induction am I witness to, and will to France, hoping the consequence will prove as bitter, black, and tragical. Withdraw, wretched Margaret. Who comes here? Ah, my poor princess. Ah, my tender babes. My unrolled flowers, new appearing sweets. If yet your gentle souls fly in the air and be not fixed in doom perpetual, hover about me with your airy wings and hear your mother's lamentation. Hover about her. Say right for right have dimmed your infant morn to aged night. So many miseries have crazed my voice that my woe-wearied tongue is still and mute. Edward Plantagenet, why art thou dead? Edward, Plantagenet doth quit Plantagenet. Edward for Edward pays a dying debt. Thou, O God, fly from such gentle lambs and throw them in the entrails of the wolf. When didst thou sleep when such a deed was done? When holy Harry died and my sweet son. Dead life, blind sight, poor mortal living ghost. Woe's seen, world's shame, graves due by life usurped. Brief abstract and record of tedious days, rest thy unrest on England's lawful earth, unlawfully made drunk with innocent's blood. Ah, that thou wouldst as soon afford a grave as thou canst yield a melancholy seat. And would I hide my bones, not rest them here? Ah, who hath any cause to mourn but we? 
If ancient sorrow be most reverend, give mine the benefit of seniory, and let my griefs frown on the upper hand. If sorrow can admit society, tell over your woes again by review, by viewing mine. I had an Edward till a Richard killed him. I had an Edward. Till a Richard kills him. I had a husband till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Edward till a Richard killed him. Thou hadst an Richard till a Richard killed him. I had a Richard too, and thou didst kill him. I had a Rutland too, thou hopest to kill him. Thou hadst a Clarence too, and a Richard killed him. From forth. The kettle of thy womb hath crept a hellhound that doth punch us all to death. That dog that had his teeth before his eyes to worry lambs and lap their gentle blood. That excellent grand tyrant of the earth that reigns in galled eyes of weeping souls. That foul defacer of God's handiwork. Thy womb let loose to chase us to our graves. Oh, upright, just, and true, disposing God, how do I thank thee that this carnal cur preys on the issue of his mother's body and makes her pew fellow with others moan? Oh, Harry's wife, triumph not in my woes. God witness with me, I have wept for thine. Bear with me. I am unhungry with revenge, and now I cloy me with beholding it. Thy Edward, he is dead that killed my Edward. Thy other Edward dead to quit my Edward. Young York, he is but boot because both they match not the high perfection of my loss. Thy Clarence, he is dead that stabbed my Edward, and the beholders of this frantic play, the adulterate Hastings, Rivers, Vaughan, Grey, untimely smothered in their dusky graves. Richard yet lives. Hell's black intelligencer only reserved his factor to buy souls and send them thither. But at hand, at hand ensues his pity as an unpitied end. Earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray to have him suddenly conveyed from hence. Cancel his bond of life, dear God, I pray that I may live and say the dog is dead. Oh. Thou didst prophesy the time would come, that I should wish for thee to help me curse that bottled spider, that foul, bunch-backed toad. I called thee then, vain flourish of my fortune. I called thee then, poor shadow, painted queen. The presentation of but what I was, the flattering index of a direful pageant, one heaved a high to be hurled down below, a mother only marked with two fair babes, a dream 
of what thou wast. A garish flag to be the aim of every dangerous shot. A sign of dignity, a breath, a bauble, a queen in jest, only to fill the scene. Where is thy husband now? Where be thy brothers? Where are thy two sons? Wherein doth thou joy? Who sues? Who sues? Uh, I'm sorry, who sues and kneels and says, God save the queen? Where be the bending pierce that flattered thee? Where be the thronging troops that followed thee? Decline all this and see what now thou art. For happy wife, a most distressed widow. For joyful mother, one that wails the name. For one being sued to, one that humbly sues. For queen, a very caitiff crowned with care. For she that scorned at me, now scorned of me. For she being feared of all, now fearing one. For she commanding all, obeyed of none. Thus hath the course of justice whirled about and left thee but a very prey to time. Having no more but thought of what thou wast, to torture thee the more, being what thou art. Thou didst usurp my place, and dost thou now usurp the just proportion of my sorrow? Now thy proud neck bears half my burdened yoke, from which even here I slip my weary head and leave the burden of it all on thee. Farewell, York's wife and queen of sad mischance. These English woes shall make me smile in France. Oh, thou well-skilled in curses, stay a while. Teach me how to curse mine enemies. Forbear to sleep the nights and fast the days. Compare dead happiness with living woe. Think that thy babes were sweeter than they were, and he that slew them fouler than he is. Bettering thy loss makes the bad causer worse. Revolving all this will teach thee how to curse. My words are dull. Oh, quicken them with thine. Thy woes will make them sharp and pierce like mine. Why should calamity be full of words? Bring the attorneys to their clients' woes. Airy succeeders of intestate joys, poor breathing orators of miseries, let them have scope. Though what they will impart helps nothing else. Yet do they ease the heart? If so, then be not tongue-tied. Go with me, and in the breath of bitter words, let smother my damned son that thy two sweet sons smothered. The trumpet sounds. Be copious in exclaims. Who intercepts me in my expedition? Oh, she that might have intercepted thee by strangling thee in her accursed womb from all the slaughters, wretch, that thou hast done. 
Hide thou that forehead with a golden crown, where it should be branded, if that right were right, the slaughter of the prince that owed that crown, and the dire death of my four sons and brothers. Tell me, thou villain slave, where are my children? Thou toad, thou toad, where is thy brother Clarence and little Ned Plantagenet, his son? Where is the gentle rivers, Vaughan, Gray? Where is kind Hastings? A flourish, trumpet, strike alarm drums. Let not the heavens hear these telltale women rail on the Lord's anointed. Strike, I say. Either be patient and entreat me fair, or with the clamorous report of war, thus will I drown your exclamations. Art thou my son? Ay, I thank God, my father and yourself. Then patiently hear my impatience. Madam. I have a touch of your condition that cannot brook the accent of reproof. Oh, let me speak. Do then, but I'll not hear. I will be mild and gentle in my words. And brief, good mother, for I am in haste. Art thou so hasty? I have stayed for thee, God knows, in torment and in agony. And came I not at last to comfort you? No, by the holy rood, thou knowest it well. Thou camest on earth to make the earth my hell. A grievous burthen was thy birth to me. Catchy and wayward was thy infancy. Thy school days frightful, desperate, wild, and furious. Thy prime of manhood, daring, bold, and venturous. Thy age confirmed, proud, subtle, sly, and bloody. More mild, but yet more Harmful, kind in hatred. What comfortable hour canst thou name that ever graced me with thy company? Face none, but Humphrey hour that called your grace to breakfast once forth of my company. If I be so disgracious in your eye, let me march on and not offend you, madam. Strike up the drum. I pray thee, hear me speak. Ah, you speak too bitterly. Hear me a word, for I shall never see thee speak to thee again. So? Either thou wilt die by God's just ordinance, ere from this war thou turn a conqueror, or I with grief and extreme age shall perish and never more behold thy face again. Therefore... Take with thee my most grievous curse, which in the day of battle tire thee more than all the complete armor that thou wearst. My prayers on the adverse party fight, and there the little souls of Edward's children whisper the spirits of thine enemies and promise them success and victory. Bloody thou art, bloody will be thy end. Shame serves thy life, and doth thy death attend. No far more cause, yet much less spirit to curse abides in me. I say amen to her. Stay, madam, I must talk a word with you. I have no more sons of the royal blood for thee to slaughter. For my daughters, Richard, they shall be praying nuns, not weeping queens. And therefore, level not to hit their lives. You have a daughter called Elizabeth, virtuous and fair, royal and gracious. And must she die for this? Oh, let her live, and I'll corrupt her manners, stain her beauty, slander myself as false to Edward's bed, throw over her the veil of infamy. 
so she may live unscarred of bleeding slaughter. I will confess she was not Edward's daughter. Wrong not her birth. She is a royal princess. To save her life, I'll say she is not so. Her life is safest only in her birth. And only in that safety died her brothers. Lo, at their birth good stars were opposite. No, to their lives ill friends were contrary. All unavoided is the doom of destiny. True, when avoided grace makes destiny. My babes were destined to a fairer death, if grace had blessed me with a fairer life. You speak as if I had slain my cousins. Cousins, indeed, and by their uncle cousined of comfort, kingdom, kindred, freedom, life. Whose hands, however, lanced their tender hearts, thy head all indirectly gave direction. No doubt the murderous knife was dull and blunt till it was whetted on my stone-hard heart to revel in the entrails of my lambs. But that still use of grief makes wild grief tame. My tongue should to thine ears not name my voice till that my nails were anchored in thine eyes. And I, in such a desperate day of death, like a poor bark of sails and tackling a raft rush all to pieces on thy rocky bosom. Madam. So thrive I in my enterprise and dangerous success of bloody wars as I intend more good to you and yours than ever you and yours were by me, by me were harmed. <laughs> what good is covered with the face of heaven to be discovered that can do me good? The advancement of your children, gentle lady. Up to some scaffold, there to lose their heads. Unto the dignity and height of fortune, the high imperial type of this earth's glory. Batter my sorrow with report of it. Tell me, what state, what dignity, what honor canst thou demise to any child of mine? Even all I have. I, myself, and all, will I withal endow a child of thine. So in the lethe of thy angry soul thou drown the sad remembrance of those wrongs which thou supposest I have done to thee. Be brief, lest that the process of thy kindness last longer telling than thy kindness date. Then known, then know that from my soul I love thy daughter. My daughter's mother thinks it with her soul. What does thou think of? That thou dost love my daughter from my soul, so from my soul's love didst thou love her brothers, and from my heart's love I do thank thee for it. Be not so hasty to confound my meaning. I mean that with my soul I love thy daughter, and do intend to make her Queen of England. Well then, who dost thou mean shall be her king? Even he that makes her queen, who else should be? What? Thou? Even so. How think you of it? How canst thou woo her? That would I learn of you, as being one best acquainted with her humor. And wilt thou learn of me? Madam, with all my heart. Send to her, by the man that slew her brothers, a pair of bleeding hearts. Thereon engraved Edward. And York. Then, haply, will she weep. Therefore, present to her as sometime Margaret did to thy father, steeped in Rutland's blood a handkerchief, which, say to her, did drain the purple sap from her sweet brother's body, 
and bid her wipe her weeping eyes withal. If this inducement move her not to love, send her a letter of thy noble deeds. Tell her thou mayst away her uncle Clarence, her uncle River's eye, and for her sake mayst quick conveyance with her good Aunt Anne. You mock me, madam. This is not the way to win your daughter. There is no other way, unless thou couldst put on some other shape and not be Richard that hath done all this. Say that I did all this for love of her. Nay, and indeed she cannot choose but hate thee, having bought love with such a bloody spoil. Good stuff happened that time. Did he feel different? Yes. yes. Yeah, it was very clear. It was, it was much, yeah, it was lovely. You took all the notes. I, you don't want more notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Nathan, come in. That's right. <laughs> I'm not giving you any more notes. <laughs> I took you, a couple at the very beginning and I said, what am I doing? I want to sit back and just watch it. You can, uh, you can frame those. Yes. Yeah, yeah frame them exactly. Uh, well, great. No, lo- lovely work, everybody. Um, uh, I'll remind those uh, uh, watching, you know, if you have any questions, uh, you know, you can send those in through the chat and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share those. But uh, I, I do have some, uh, you know, questions of this group, um, you know, for the benefit of the uh, the attendees. Uh, Liz, I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, what do you uh, try to focus on when working on, on Shakespeare. I mean, we, you know, we had a lot of time just to devote to this scene, but, um, you know, what are the things that you, uh, you know, feel are, uh, important or, or that, you know, you really try to bring out when, when approaching the text? Well, I mean, it is the text. I mean, I, I must say that I, I focus very heavily on the text because I think everything one needs to know is there and then i mean it then it's sort of in this this scene was particularly difficult because it really at the beginning it just seemed like three women who were ranting and and so trying to find out well wait a minute why what what's going on and there was a journey for each one of those women mm-hmm. and and so i think finding that became very important but again it was all through intense study of the text sure i mean seriously i the you know yeah you have ideas about who these people are and so on um but you gave me such a good cast that they all fit in quite well into the roles they were playing so that's what i do i i just spent an awful long time on the text and then you know i i worked uh, when i was a young actor i worked with bobby lewis and he used to make us all sit in the chair forever. He would not let you get up and block. He, you had you sat there until you couldn't stand sitting in that chair a moment longer. And you you finally leapt out of the chair and your blocking was there because it, you, you'd absorbed it all. And I think in a way that happens with Shakespeare. If you let the text speak to you, speak to you, speak to you, you know everything you need to do. Well, and and it also kind of happens with Zoom. Is that you're all you're all kind of uh, you're you're in this box, and you just have to stay there, you know. So I, I imagine on some degree, on some level, if we were to bring this into a theater, there's, there's probably some innate uh, movement in all of you because you've been sitting and working on this for for a while. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how that how that would translate and uh, uh, come to life. 
Um, you know, t- talking about the the journeys for all the characters, I, I, I'm curious for the actors. Uh, were there any particular challenges or surprises uh, for you that you discovered in these roles or uh, in, a, in a line or in the text or in the scene, uh, either coming from the perspective of, you know, uh, having an idea of what you think, you know, these people are or who this character is or what's going on and then discovering, uh, you know, something different in the text. I'm curious if anyone has any, any uh, experiences with that. Well, for myself, Richard is such a famous role, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, so there was that. I was like, OK, well, it's not, you know, you just got to let the text tell you what to do. And I wasn't planning to do anything physically, even though they mm-hmm. talk so much about his physicality through the entire production uh, and all through the text. Um, and it. I accidentally, as a, if you remember last week, I twisted my knee and I actually had it raised up. And so it gave me this really awkward physicality that I, that really, really helped with the role. And I was like, Oh, if you find that physicality, even in the zoom world, you find what Shakespeare is, you know, talking about, or at least Mm -hmm. you start to, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So I went and grabbed a stool and put it over here and used it Mm -hmm. to help with the physicality. And I just found that, Interesting. I wasn't planning on doing anything physical and it just actually just kind of happened accidentally. And I was like, it felt so right because of the way it was written. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to run with that. So that I just found that interesting. Great. Um, anyone else have anything they want to share on that point? Well, what I find interesting is pretty much what Liz said about it's all in the text. And if you really invest in the text, you know, it, it all comes true. It falls into the body. It has to fall in. It's like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with dropping in. Um, no. uh, you should, I think Liz, you're familiar with that. It's it, once, at least for me, once it drops into, into the body, then it, it, it speaks to me, it tells me, you know, things, but it's, it's something that you have to just keep working on. And allow it to drop in and you have to, I guess, be open so that it could drop in because otherwise it's just really saying the text. And I don't really feel comfortable with the text until I could find that physicality where that character lives within me in my body. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, well, we, we can come back to that if anyone has uh, any other uh, points, but I see uh, Paul raised his hand. So, Paul, are you uh, able to unmute yourself? Or let me know. Let me see. I'm going to try to ask you to unmute, and we'll see if technology is cooperating with us. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Um, my question is a general one about your acting Shakespeare in these times. What I mean by that is this. When Shakespeare wrote his plays, and for the audiences came to see them in the late 1590s and early 1600s, they were living with the kind of world we've seen in New York in the last year, where we got to see living morgues on the streets. Our beloved, the people we love, started living in trucks because there's no place to put their bodies. Every day was like that for Shakespeare's audience in those times. Those characters, those plays had a sense of fragility that we have forgotten until recently. And I wonder if that affects your acting and your rehearsals these days when you do Shakespeare. So, uh, you know, for anyone that um, just to restate it for anyone that didn't uh, catch questions, so, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of parallels today in terms of, uh, you know, certainly with the pandemic and the plague that, that uh, Shakespeare's audience was going through and, and the COVID-19 pandemic that we've been experiencing. 
And uh, did anyone, you know, I think the actors or through the rehearsals, uh, did that, the world we live in right now, did that affect you in any way in terms of your approach to the material or, uh, you know, anything? Hopefully I'm, I'm capturing Paul's question there. I mean, as director, I don't think so. I mean, but I think the point is we're living it. We don't know. It's like I, I always say that if you actually go over a piece of text in certain ways, it will invade you, as you say. It, you will drop in, it will drop into you. And I have a feeling that the world around us has dropped into all of us, and it has to affect us, but we didn't actually sit down and discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would just think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I would say I've been spending a lot of time with, with Shakespeare this year, and lines that I know very well hit me very differently. So, um, you know, even, you know, talking about Julius Caesar yesterday in, in the very first scene, uh, when the tribunes say to the people, pray to the gods, you know, fall on your knees and pray, pray to the gods to intermit the plague that needs must light on this ingratitude. That's the line that just, uh, you know, I, I think for all of the times I've read it before, I would have sort of skimmed over it. It's impossible to, to skim over it this year. And I think that there is, um, an apocalypticism about uh, about Richard III, which is you know the, the the climax of everything that's that's happened since 1399 and, and the overthrow of Richard II. And I think Margaret's line in particular about earth gapes, hell burns, fiends roar, saints pray. Um, you know, it's it's this sense of um, absolutely everything's opened up and and there aren't any boundaries anymore. Um, so I would say that um, I don't know that I thought enormously about our present context in, in the context of this play, but I, I would say that, that that this year has made everything feel just, um, uh, has made everything hit, hit quite differently. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I thought of it, I'm not sure the way that you thought I might have, Paul, but I know that, um, I mean, we know that Shakespeare continued to write plays during the shutdown in England, during, um, you know, the pestilence uh, and, and all kinds of things. So for me, what it has meant is it's about resiliency. It's about saying the world is going to go on and we're going to tell the stories. We're going to tell them well. Uh, we're going to find whatever universal truths we have for the universal kinds of things that uh, affect people, power, family, all these kinds of things. And, and that's the, that's the common thread that's, that took them through it and it's taking us now and we're going to live it again at some point. So it's always been, I've been able to kind of, um, hold it a little more, uh, as a temporary thing in my mind, partly by knowing his history of, uh, just assuming I'm going to I'm an artist and I'm going back to this and I'm going to write great stuff. Right. All right. Cool. Thank thank you, Maggie. Thank you, uh, Morgan uh, and Liz, for uh, answering. And, and thank you, uh, uh, Paul, for the question. Um, we have another question from Bill. Let me unmute or ask uh, Bill to unmute and see. All right, Bill, I think we can hear you now. Oh, there you are. <coughs> Sorry if I can show up, too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um Wonderful, John. I'm really enjoying this very much. Um, and I wanted to mention that um, I've read Richard III several times during my life. I've seen several productions 
But only recently I've read the Henry VI plays, and I can't believe how they opened up Richard III for me. <laughs> and, um, so I'm thinking that if I were to ever recommend Richard III to anybody, I think I would, I would probably say, you know, you ought to read Henry VI plays first. Um, and several times tonight, you've made the, um, the emphasis on, on the text. And I think even the, the word backstory, the two words backstory were, uh, were used tonight. And I thought, I, like I say, I am not a theater professional at all. I just love Shakespeare. And I was thinking, well, if I were a director, I would ask my cast, please read the Henry VI plays first. <laughs> right? Because, you know, like Queen Margaret, for crying out loud, she's an incredible character. And if if I were going to be playing that part, um, I, I would think it would be invaluable to to learn all that I could about her, which is presented in the Henry VI plays. And that goes for several of the other characters, too. So I was curious um, what kind of... Um, reaction I would get to that statement. <laughs> I think you're very smart. I mean, remember we had four we had four sessions including today. So we didn't actually discuss that very much. You know, I think I I know that Verilyn probably knows all about those Henry the Sixth plays. I, you know, I have a smart group of people. Um, but yeah, if we had more time, I, absolutely. The, the story of Margaret, particularly, is I had a student actually who wrote a play beginning with Margaret in Henry the Sixth Part One and taking her all the way through to Rich and sort of peeling away everything but the story of Margaret because she's a standing character. It is. She is. She's formidable, for sure. And it wouldn't make sense to do such a thing, but um, again, it was a short uh, session. Uh, I mean, normally um, when, you know, you're doing table work, uh, you do break down these characters a lot more than we had time to do. So um, the exploration would have been far deeper, And um, which is, you know, anytime you approach a piece of work, you do do the, you know, the work yeah. beforehand. But um, this was sort of a truncated um, session, so we went right to it, actually. Um, Gideon was very good about providing us with a lot of background information, as well as Liz. But um, it was really just tipping the iceberg, just to try to get us to a, a starting place. So, Yeah, I understand in this situation that it wasn't necessarily practical, but uh, I'm thinking in terms of a hypothetical situation. You know, if I were ever to direct Richard III, I would require my cast to read the Henry VI plays. You would be very smart to do so. Absolutely. I'd stick my hand up and say um, that I once had the uh, the great good fortune to see the Henry the Sixth plays and Richard the Third all in one day, uh, which was yeah a really extraordinary treat. And uh, certain things that you uh, sort of know by osmosis suddenly make uh, suddenly make a lot of sense. And I think that in the way the two dead boys from Three Henry Six haunt this play, right? You know, dead, dead Rutland and, um, and dead Prince Edward. Um, it, it really, really helps to have, uh, to have that context for sure. Um, and Richard's also got some amazing speeches in, in Three Henry Six. Yeah, he even had any murders, Henry. <laughs> and also these references to events that take place in the Henry Six plays, such as, uh, 
Margaret dipping her handkerchief in, in Rutland's that blood and spirit in, right. on the Duke of York's face. You know, to, to read that or see a production of, of that and then to, to read or see a production of Richard III, it, it's a much more vivid image in your mind. So I just want to add that th- this is the fourth play of a tetralogy, and Shakespeare conceived the plays um, together pretty much. By the time he wrote this play, everyone had seen the others. But I want to se- second what you're saying about the significance of the Henry VI plays, because when Shakespeare first wrote those, before he'd written this or any of his later great works, he exploded onto the Elizabethan stage with the Henry VI plays, and they were um, toweringly successful and popular and amazing and thrilling. And if you want to get a sense, if Shakespeare had written nothing but those first three Henry VI plays, and uh, you you would say, well, why are we making a big deal about him? But if you go back and read the plays that were being written before those and at the time, and then read those, you see where this, where Shakespeare comes from. It's, it's this explosive vitality that's already there, fully there in the Henry VI plays, though his dramaturgy is not finally um, honed to its peak, which will come later. But th- they were radical plays, and, and they're very powerful. And so the fact that when you read them, that hit you, it's not just that they shed light on this play, though. They do. You're right about that. It's that in themselves they are... They're quite wonderful plays. Yes. Right. Well, uh, thank you, Bill, for, uh, for, yeah, championing, uh, that, that kind of, uh, work and research. So yeah, I, uh, I, I think it is, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it would be great. I think, you know, cause even with uh, professional productions, you know, if you're doing a production of Richard the third, uh, you may run into that limitation of, you know, do we have time to talk about all of the Henry VI plays, but at least having the cast go and read them on their own to familiarize themselves with the characters, I think is, uh, certainly yeah. helpful. If not, if not, if not being able to discuss them in rehearsals, um, uh, Gideon, since you chimed in there, I'd, I'd love, uh, for you to share, uh, you know, for the attendees who, who may not be familiar uh, they may seeing a dramaturg at a rehearsal may be a totally new experience. So I, I'd love to hear uh, your perspective of, of being able to work in this format and, and uh, what you've been able to uh, or what you've enjoyed about working in this format. Well, the first thing I've enjoyed is to hear everybody and especially Liz t- put so much value on text, because mm-hmm. to me, that's the foundation of all of it. And that's my work to help clarify the text. So that's the first thing. Second thing is I absolutely love working with good actors, which we've got tonight, um, because I give a note and I explain something and then they get it and they take it and they make it come alive. And it's it's just for a dramaturge, there's not much more satisfying than that. Um, But I also feel like uh, the... the, um, I feel like my work is never done because I listened to this last run through and I didn't take a lot of notes. I took only three. I'm not going to give them, but um, I, I discovered something in this reading. I discovered the meaning of a word that I wasn't getting before hmm. um, because of how it was said. And I thought, wait, that's not right. And then I figured out what would be right. And so every, uh, when I first started studying Shakespeare in graduate school, I thought to myself, 
I'm going to study Shakespeare because he's the best. And I bet that he will wear me out before I wear him out. And 40 years later, or however many it is, I think it's more, um, I was right that, that I never, I never ceased learning from Shakespeare and learning about Shakespeare because it's, it's so good that whatever way you approach it and at whatever level, it rewards you. So I particularly love doing this kind of work because my actors are a captive audience. They can't run off to the stage to start blocking and doing lights and doing sound and going to try on their damn costumes and all of that. <laughs> they have to stay here, and I can say to them, if I have a director who lets me, uh, what the next thing I need to say about some line. And that is that's just very rewarding, I have to say. That's great. That's great. Um well, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's been thrilling. And I know not only in this scene, but in the others, uh, the, the actors are, have been so grateful and the directors too, uh, to have a dramaturg. Yes. I would uh, like available. to have Gideon available for everything I ever direct from now on. <laughs> Same. I'll be there. I'll be there. You let me know and we'll plan and I'll be there. We, we, we need to make sure all the artistic directors and managing directors of theaters hear this kind of stuff because they're like, oh, it's, it, it, it saves you so much time later on and, and well, gives you I, better quality productions. I just, I just want to add that uh, the work that I do utterly depends on the director because, hmm. number one, I, I do not permit myself to go against the director. The director is the director, and they get to do what they want. So I'm there to serve. But when I work with directors who care about the text as much as Liz does, as much as I do, and as much as these actors do, um, a lot more gets done. And mm-hmm. I've worked on productions where I have some beginning table work, and then they start doing blocking, and the director will say to me, go work with this actor, go work on that speech with so-and-so, and I'll take them aside and we'll do some work. Um, and they've come back and and – blossomed because of the text work um, and it pays off in the long run greatly which is extremely rewarding but as I say it depends on a director um, caring not just about emotion and not just about theatricality and so on but about the foundation in the text and when mm-hmm. the director does then I work and that that's the most rewarding thing for me for the two actors that, you know, had, had uh, registered and signed up for this project, um, Morgan, if I could start with you, I'd love to hear uh, what did you enjoy about the process, uh, you know, in terms of working this way that, you know, might have been different than um, uh, a lot of other, you know, productions or, or, or rehearsals and things like that. So I'd just love to hear uh, your experience. Um, I am not, uh, you know, I'm not a person who's done a lot of acting. Uh, in university, I did a lot of directing and I did a lot of text work and it's really fun to be on the other side. Uh, so, you know, I have, uh, certainly spent a lot of time with actors doing that, that very kind of fine and detailed work. And it's really a different experience to be on the other side of, uh, of that conversation. That's great. Well, great, great to hear. Um, and yeah, it is, it is always, uh, almost revelatory when you get to be on the other side of the table, whether you're an actor who directs something or a director who, you know, acts in something that you, you just suddenly, you know, some things can click into place that uh, just hadn't before, or, or also developing that style of communication. If you see, well, what is the other person looking for or what, you know, what, what is their end goal that 
you know, now how you have you, you just learn a different kind of set of vocabulary that allows you to have that uh, the conversation a little bit more effectively, hopefully. Um, and and Maggie, you know, you've uh, you've worked in these scenes a few times, you know, playing a, a range of characters, you know, lovers and now, uh, you know, a, a hateful mother and, uh, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And uh, and so I'd love to hear, you know, what was your experience now working on uh, Richard, this Richard, the third scene? Um, well, this was this has been an interesting every one of them is interesting and working with Liz has been great. I, I loved the way she would phrase things sometimes she would say. She would say, wouldn't it be fun to say it this way <laughs> or to emphasize that word? And, and it, but it's so true. It's true to, to try the things different ways. It, it's fun. Um, and the richness of the, the language and, and everything that, that really uh, brought it out to me. And I appreciated that a lot. Um, so it, it's just, it's quite interesting to hear different a- actors working with different directors too. Uh, they all bring their own expertise to it, their way of expressing it. Um, but, but it really is true. The, the, it runs through the attention to the text, to uh, Shakespeare's desires, you know, what he was trying to do and, and helping us to bring that out because we're going to feel better when we can do that, when we see what's there and then we can do that. So that was great. And especially with this character, I was, I'm almost embarrassed to not have seen the arc that happened with her and how she changed. And that was great that it was pointed out to me. It made very clear and that helped me a lot to see she, she's not the same person by the end of the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I hope I got that across. Mm-hmm. And uh, for Michael or, or Verlin, uh, you know, I would imagine with product, professional productions you guys have done, you may not have had this amount of time to, you know, really work on a scene or, or dive into it. So um, could you talk about what, you know, you might have enjoyed uh, about this process? I, I really um, enjoyed the time spent with the little things, uh, the little notes that I got. It was, um, cause oftentimes when you get the script, you know, you're so, you know, you're always on a time frame, you know, X amount of weeks for rehearsal and, you know, you jump into trying to get, you know, your lines and stuff like that. You know, you kind of forget the process as you go. But this is why uh, a workshop like this is so important because there is no um, end game to it. It's really all about being in the room and really taking in the notes as best you can and then going back and try to incorporate it in the work. And I think that's that's where the meat of it all is when is the time spent and really trying to understand. Um, not just um, say the words, but really to invest in meaning and and um, pronunciations and all of it. it was just rich. It was um, I had forgotten really how um, how to go about the work, <laughs> so I hadn't done Shakespeare very well. So it's good to jump in there and and kind of re- remember, you know, what what you're supposed to know and the, the things you're supposed to pay attention to and and so forth. So. I found, you know, I was sad I had to miss a week of, of the process, but um, it, it, you know, it really kind of brought me back to where I think I should be beginning again. So it, it was valuable. It was very valuable. That's great. That's great to hear. And Michael? Uh, yeah, it's incredible, this work. It's just to delve so deep into one particular scene has mm-hmm. been really, really fun to work so, so many hours over so many days doing mm-hmm. it. But going back to the the text analysis, I mean, for me, Shakespeare's everything. That's why I 
I, I do it. Uh, he's done everything for you if you know how to decode him. And it's really fun working with people like Gideon and Liz that know how to decode them in their own ways. There are many, many styles and ways of approaching the text. Everybody's got their own ways of doing it. And, you know, it depends on when it was written in his canon. Like if it was an early play as opposed to a later play, as opposed to how he actually handled the poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, because money is being dried up in the arts, the rehearsal processes have been getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And now you've got like three weeks to put up a whole Shakespeare play when you used to have two months. And it's really been difficult. So what I love about this new format or this, this forced format, I should say, is, I mean, if I'm directing a play, if we start rehearsals in three weeks, I'm going to ask everybody to come a week early and let's just Zoom text analysis the thing mm-hmm. for as long as we possibly can because this work, like you said, you're forced to sit there and, you know, we can't run off and go do a costume fitting. It's like, let's look at the text and mm-hmm. let's just sit here and work the text themselves. And if we could do this, we would give more more time to let the production blossom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I and it's been really great to be a part of these to see how that's possible. So I hope to do it more often when we can get back in person. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I, you know, it's I, I think that well, there's a couple things that that came up as you were sharing that, Michael. That um, you know, what's nice about this format that even if we've only had a you know four sessions to work on this scene the time in between kind of allows these lines to work on you, you know, as you're thinking about them, as they're dropping in. So that time, because you're not rushed to, you know, do everything in three weeks that they allow, you know, they're allowed to kind of marinate in your head of like, well, Oh, okay. What, you know, Oh, this is the connective tissue or, or, Oh, this is the point he's making here. Um, So I think that's, that's exciting to be able to see the actors have that, that opportunity. And, um, uh, you know, I also wanted to bring up it's it's fun in this format that now, you know, the, kind of a, a company of actors that we're able to develop, you guys start to work in different contexts on the same scenes. Like I, I brought up Maggie had worked before on other scenes, but Michael had been here before. And actually, Michael and Maggie played uh, lovers in Midsummer Night's Dream. And, and now there's the mother son dynamic. So it's just it's just fun to, you know, uh, have that. Uh, experience for, I think, the actors too, to, you know, play in different contexts and, and, and just, you know, explore all that different stuff that, you know, um, that we get to do that because we're, um, we have that benefit of, of being conscious and aware of, of age and, and gender and, and, and color that, uh, we can experiment with that freely. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, um, to do that. Um, I, I, uh, I just want to be mindful of time that we will wrap this up, uh, but, but, you know, pretty shortly, unless anyone else has uh, any other questions um, or if uh, the group has anything else to say, I'll just mention again uh, very quickly. Uh, the, the charity this evening that we were highlighting is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Thank you so much uh, for everybody that has donated uh, already. Uh, there's a link in the chat if you'd like to donate directly. Um, I mentioned the, the repertory mm-hmm. program that we're uh, uh, launching um, that's going to start mid-May. Uh, it's a, it's kind of like an acting repertory company where you work on, uh, you know, at least a couple parts in the same play with two directors. So you're getting a lot of, you know, different, uh, insights and, uh, different characters to explore. And it again, 
you'll be working with professional actors and, and coaches. So there's a link to check out more. We have a, a discount running through uh, May 6th. Uh, and uh, I welcome you to come back and see. We have three more uh, scene presentations through May. Uh, those are free. Uh, and so, yeah, would be uh, thrilled to have you come back for more. We got As You Like It, Hamlet, and The Merchant of Venice. So, you know, very different plays, a uh, lot lot to uh, check out. So uh, I'll open it up to the group. Is there anything else, uh, you know, any other final comments or things you guys would like to share about your experience with Richard III? Uh, you know, Maggie, we should just do Oedipus next is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, you know, that's where we're going. Yes, the trajectory. Be honored. We'll go to the Greeks. Uh, well, great, great. Um, well, uh, if, if the uh, Richard III group can stay in place, uh, I'll move everybody, uh, uh, all the attendees to the waiting room, um, uh, or you, uh, the attendees can uh, just uh, leave, leave the call or drop off. There's, there's no graceful way to say, you know, just exit the Zoom call. Uh, well, thank I, I, you, I, attendees, for coming. Yes, and thank, thank you guys thank for coming. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you so coming much. and thank you for leaving. I, I, I guess I should just say, like, you know, if you can, if you can exit out, exit out the, uh, the the main door of the theater, you know, some, some something I suppose just just drop off the call. Um, but uh, but yeah, again, thank you so much for for attending. Really appreciate you being here, and uh, hope you see hope to see you back for another one. So. Hey, it's Nathan here one more time. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to that uh, entire presentation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love going back. I mean, every time I watch these, I'll learn something new. Uh, the work is just so fantastic and so deep. Uh, it, it's just wonderful. So I hope you really enjoyed that. Uh, and like I said, the plan is to roll out more of these. So please stay tuned to the podcast uh, or YouTube. Um, you know, I'll really, I'm really making an effort to, uh, you know, put more of this out there and not just uh, hold on to it and wait for someday. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're not on the email list, go to workingactorsjourney.com. Um, that is usually uh, where you will find out first about things that are coming up. You know, where I first shared about uh, Libby being part of the rehearsal room and anything else that's going on, I probably will be able to email about it first before I'm able to get it out on the podcast uh, or YouTube. Maybe social media, but email is, again, going to be your best bet. So workingactorsjourney.com. It's free to sign up. You can even get uh, a resource. It's called 10 Ways to Stop Worrying and Start Working. Uh, some of the uh, best advice from, I think, the first two seasons of the show uh, in a PDF. So you get that immediately when you uh, sign up. Uh, you get that free. And then you'll get ongoing notices of what we're doing. So that is it. Hope you're having a great rest of your day. Look forward to sharing more with you soon. And take care. I'm Nathan Agan, and enjoy the journey.